Arizona, homeowner's best friend. Come on into our house, Arizona. It's Rosie on the house, your Saturday morning tradition since 1988. 10 o'clock hour, hour number three of our weekly radio broadcast. We call this the open home hour, open to you, the Arizona homeowner, whatever you want to talk about your home, castle, or cabin, you can join the conversation. one 767 4348 That's 1-888-ROSIE for you. Text questions can be sent to 411-923, or you can email us at info at rosieonthehouse.com. If you need to send a picture or a short video explaining whatever project you're working on, it can be sent there. Now, typically speaking, holiday seasons, you know, pretty much now through the end of the year, most homeowners, you know, the farthest thing on their mind is is home maintenance. They might have home cleaning, home entertainment, home decorating, but home improvement and fixing things, man, if it ain't broke, don't touch it. And, uh, you know, now here we are on Saturday after Thanksgiving, you've heard of Black Friday, and don't they have like a... Uh, E-Monday or something like that, and then like a, a Travel Tuesday coming up. Well, did you know about Brown Friday? What's Brown Friday? That is Maybe Plumber's Day. Maybe I should turn day. on my mic. What's Brown Friday? <laughs> <laughs> that is the Plumber's Day. Ah! It is the busiest day of the year for plumbers historically because of all the use that our plumbing system receives mm-hmm. from home entertaining and Thanksgiving feasts. Number one, the garbage disposal. Grease and potatoes are the two biggest uh, violators of your garbage disposal during the Thanksgiving season. So, And, you know, really, honestly, you probably just shouldn't even use the garbage disposal. When you go through the list of what they tell you not to use, oatmeal, nuts, (laughs) onion skins, corn husks, coffee beans, I mean, pasta. The Italian it, Thanksgiving. I'm, I'm looking for a list of what can you put down there. This eggshells <laughs> is on the don't put in your disposal list. I'm like, you know, so when you're using your garbage disposal, what you're supposed to do, uh, obviously have water running, but after you turn it off, you're still supposed to let water run for a full 30 seconds uh, to completely clean it out. So uh, and if, if you really just want to be safe, just... Have a compost bin or a trash bucket somewhere near the kitchen, somewhere near the sink, and just make sure everything goes in there first. And then the only thing that goes down your sink is what, you know, you have to wash off your plate that's, you can't scrape off with a fork. Yeah, just whatever was on your plate, go to a garbage can at least and just clean it off. Then you can wash it or throw it in the dishwasher. If you have other drainage issues, you know, you can rent a a snake from just about any any place that rents tools if you want to do that job yourself. Uh, or, uh, you know, you can always get one of the Rosie on the House certified partners out to drain clean and, and completely scope out your lines. We had a great conversation with uh, Brandon from Day and Night Plumbing just about six weeks ago, and he went through all the different ways that drains build up uh, clogs and get, uh, you know, prevent proper drainage from happening and then went through a lot of the new technologies and line replacement and line cleaning that 
is now available. I mean, if you've got an older cast iron home and you've got a big holiday Thanksgiving party over this last couple days, and that that's a whole lot of wear and tear that happened there. Of course, it's never a problem until it doesn't work. Then it becomes a huge problem with stuff backing up and not being able to uh, properly use your plumbing system. I mean, that, that puts your whole life on hold, not being so able to use your drains. I experienced that firsthand before Thanksgiving. I get a text. It's about 7 o'clock at night from my neighbor across the street, and she goes, my toilets are backed up. Can you come help me plunge it? So I go across the street. She has not one but two toilets that were backed up. Fortunately, after about five or six pushes, we got it done. And she's a happy camper. And I got a bag of popcorn for it. So <laughs> Unpopped? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would have been cruel. But no, no, it, it was, it was uh, yeah, it, it messy, smelly, yes. But once it's cleared up and you have a few flushes, it's fine. But I also learned that she has a septic tank. Now, that's, I'm in a neighborhood that was built in 1957. I'm on sewer, and I was stunned. So one thing I did tell her was make sure that you call a plumber and have that septic tank looked at if it hasn't been maintained in a while. It yeah. might be a sign. Yeah, there was a chance it was probably built on a septic, but at some point converted over to city. Uh, that just happens as developments come through. If you do own a septic, if your home is on a septic, uh, a lot of people use that as a reason to avoid or to not buy a home, but there's really no reason. It's just proper education, and we've got a lot of great resources on our website about that, but we've kind of been in the toilet long enough here for, <laughs> for my liking, so let's move on. We have a great December lineup for you. On the second, we'll be talking about remodeling, but not just with a remodeler, with all the remodeling partners at Rosie on the House. We're going to have a completely packed studio with a panel of remodelers. So if you've got any kind of project you're envisioning, uh, you know, send us details about the project ahead of time or be prepared to call in because you're going to have a wealth of information uh, that you can't find anywhere else that'll help get you pointed in the right direction and getting started. The following week, we're going to be talking about permits. A lot of work that we do to our home requires permits through our local municipalities and what projects do need permits, what don't. Following week after that, Habitat for Humanity will be in. They've got a really neat new uh, program that they started that they're going to come in and share with us. And then rounding out the year, uh, on the 23rd, we're going to be talking about our top five articles of the uh, year, the top five blogs. And then on the 30th, we'll talk about our top five do-it-yourself uh, weekly to-dos from the year. So always interesting to see what, you know, what we think will be a highlight or the most popular and what really is the actual uh, is, is always very fun for us to dive into. So we'll be sharing that with you here, rounding out the rest of 2023 and starting 2024. Um, i I don't have my calendar in front of me, but I think it's actually the second Saturday. We're going to have a live broadcast at Dunright Window and Doors. They've got a brand new showroom. We were going to do this back in September, but he was still waiting to get uh, window displays from his manufacturers that hadn't arrived yet. So he's like, well, kind of pointless to open a showroom when I don't have anything to show yet. So all the window and all the display case uh, products have arrived, and that'll be on site, it's on the northwest corner of Thunderbird and Tatum. 
Uh, it, it's a little bit uh, west on Tatum. Uh, there's a uh, <clears throat> uh, woodworker shop there, and this building is just just past that a little bit. So you'll be able to come out and uh, see us on that live broadcast and as we kick off 2024. Now, if you've listened to this broadcast for any extended period of time, you know we're big fans of any building structure with concrete masonry, cement products, you know, what we call forever products. I don't know what is going to happen with all these homes that we build out of wood frames. I mean, these aren't going to be homes that are going to be existing 100 years from now. Uh, and we've got millions of homes now in Arizona, so I mean, just the amount of raw materials that it's going to take to rebuild all those at some point. And we've got every type of remains of, of other civilizations and of the eras, you know, the stone castles, the stone, uh, you know, the, uh, the Vatican, the, they have a building there. I can't remember what it's called. It's uh, going on 500 years old now, Notre Dame. I'm not saying we need to build homes <laughs> to those grand scale of architecture, but I mean, we have so many cement products that we can build in residential homes that aren't this huge inflated costs that uh, they try and sell you on over, you know, well, it's so much cheaper to build with silly sticks and stuckos. Well, I, again, it's, you know, look on that timeline, cheaper what, cheaper when. Uh, you, you're going to have to tear down and rebuild it at some point. That's certainly not cheaper than adding 5% to begin with to go with a masonry product. But there is a new one that I ran across that I want to talk about. It's called a beanie shell, B-I-N-I. S-H-E-L-L-S, beanie shells. And this is really a, a very cool concept. Now, you, you have to, like, you'd, you'd, it, the finished product is a domed-type product. So you have to be willing to live in a home that has kind of rounded. But what they do is they take these airbags and they design the layout of the home. Then they blow up these huge airbags, and then they come over the top shoot concrete onto these airbags once the concrete dries they deflate the airbags and boom you're left with your house structure that you now go in and you know do your interior finish with and just like anything concrete you know you can add dyes to it so your finished color is you know can be put into the cement product so now you're not uh it's not a uh, building that you're ever going to have to worry about painting you might do some coating on it from time to time or uh different color enhancements as sun would eventually fade it over the time you might go back and add, add different types of concrete dye but it's a very interesting thing we've talked about you know habitat for humanity has done a 3d printed house but completely different in the same sense and i think they're gonna uh find this is gonna be as cool as it is probably a troubling one for arizona because what we found out with the 3d pumps arizona is so warm that there's only a very narrow window that you can pump the material without the concrete drying inside the tubes before it gets applied. So it's going to be a very limited time of application, I think, but it, it's a very neat concept. You'll have to go to the podcast page and check out the link uh, to, to the website if you're interested in learning more. Thanks for spending your post-Thanksgiving Saturday morning with us here at Rosie on the House. In this segment, we actually have a guest joining us on the line, Mr. John Bishop, the electrical foreman at Mason Pro Services. We thought thought it might be a good time to, to reach out for a lifeline to one of our electricians and just go through the basics of what everyone needs to know. John, good morning, sir. 
Good morning. Electrical safety, what do y'all see as areas that you look to educate your customers on? I would say first and foremost is just being informed on the product that you're purchasing. If you're going to be installing something outdoors, you want to make sure that it's outdoor rated. If it's indoors, that it's indoor rated. This is very common because we'll see, you know, lamp cord uh, style lights installed and they're running all over pathways and becoming trip hazards and the installation isn't built to deal with the elements can cause potential safety hazards to the occupants as well. You know, even though there are those little tags that are on the cords, I always recommend keeping those tags on there so you do have easy identification of what you can use outdoors and, you know, what's going to keep you and your family safe when installing uh, Christmas lights for the holiday season. On lights, with everything going to LED, I mean, do we even need to worry about load calculations anymore? You still do. Okay. Even though LED technology, as far as power factors go, is a fraction of what the old incandescent lights, they still have an amp draw, which can be overloaded with excess lighting. And even if they're drawn out over long spans, it can also increase the resistance, which increases that power draw. So you can still see breakers trip, receptacles that the cords are plugged into overheat due to you know excess LED installation. When we're putting up our strings of lights and our extension cords, I mean, we need to be looking to make sure that the wiring on the cords hasn't been punctured or pinched or... Yeah, always inspect them. If they're twisted very tightly, that also increases the resistance. And when hanging them, you always want to make sure you're not using nails, metal staples. I always recommend using plastic-style hangers that have very smooth edges in order for the lights to sit in there comfortably without being pinched or nicked or twisted. Replacing extension cord, you know, they come in all different gauges. Is there one in particular that is recommended for LED? On a typical residential home, the smallest circuit breaker is going to be a 15-amp breaker, which requires 14-gauge wire minimum. So I always say 14-gauge, 12-gauge. That way you, you you increase the path for the current to flow, and it it really dissipates, you know, a lot of that heat transfer when you restrict it in a tighter cord, such as a 16 or an 18 that you would see on, like, a lamp or, a, you know, some sort of, a, like, shop light fixture. What does length have to do? I mean, obviously, it's, it expands your reach, but, you know, the further electricity is traveling through these extension cords and these wires, what's happening? What's happening is, is it, it's having to work harder in order to get that power delivered farther. And when it's having to work harder, in turn, it's going to create more heat. And that heat, you know, can damage those cords and burn up an outlet, affect the circuit breaker and how, and how it works. Because the farther away you're getting away from that, the longer it may take for that thing to trip in the event of an emergency. I mean, we like to try to keep things as close as possible. And if we are going to go longer length, we would need to make sure that our cord size is increased in order to, you know, really try to get that heat transfer down to a minimum. Now, in an outdoor application where we're plugging into exterior outlets, they're going to be GFCI outlets, and test those to make sure they're work. But Always test. Let's say I needed five plug-ins, though. Could I get an outdoor-rated power strip and plug it in and to a GFCI and then load them all, all the different five-channel stations up? 
I mean, it's not recommended to have that many ports going into one specific receptacle. And I only say that as well because if you're putting that much into one device that's plugging into one receptacle, well, it could be a lot of heat just generated in that one strip. Um, we recommend if you are going to do it, do it on separate circuits and even if possible, you know, a dedicated circuit and maybe sharing some other uh, parts of the, the lights that you have in either the front or backyard, you know, with a different receptacle. And when using those GFIs too, those cords are going to be plugged in all the time. We also recommend using in-use covers, commonly known as bubble covers. That way they can stay plugged into the receptacle, you know, all day, all night, and the receptacle can still be protected from rain. And in Arizona, we actually get to say this where other parts of the country don't. Don't run wire extensions through your lawn if you have a winter lawn. You know, <laughs> a, a winter lawn to a lot of people is a completely foreign thought. But yes, we have lawns in Arizona in the winter. It's actually our better lawn. Uh, yeah, so. it's much much greener. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, water in that winter lawn, and you got lights running all throughout it. Well, you're probably going to have some issues with some uh, GFI receptacles tripping, lights not functioning correctly, and once again, premature failure of those Christmas lights. The one final talking point I'll leave you all with is, uh, you know, this isn't an electrical issue, but if you're using a ladder, whether it's an A-frame ladder or an extension ladder, make sure every leg is touching the ground together. Don't climb up on any ladder that's wobbly. The falls from a ladder are the number one cause of emergency visits by homeowners when doing uh, projects around the house. So don't add to the statistics this year. Just like inspecting your cords and your Christmas lights, inspect your ladders as well. All right, Mr. John Bishop, thanks for spending a few minutes with us Saturday morning. Any final thoughts? Uh, be safe out there, and if you need any exterior outlets installed, anything at all, uh, electrically for your holiday season, feel free to give Mason Pro Services a call. And the number? It is 480-835-9928. And Mason Pro Services is one of the newer partners to Rosie on the house, but they've been in business in Arizona for a couple of decades. And not only do they do electrical work, but they also do plumbing and air conditioning. So welcome to the team and thanks for helping us walk through a little holiday electrical safety. I much appreciate it. Thanks for having us. And here at segment number three, this is where we cover our weekly to-do. It's one item designed to get done around your home, castle, or cabin to keep up with regular maintenance. Tackling one item a week is a lot more manageable than having to try and uh, schedule multiple weekends to knock out number of tasks. And a better kept, maintained home is a better lifestyle, better quality of living. And if you should ever have to move in an instant... Uh, you're not going to have to sacrifice a lot of your equity because your home is maintained. Whereas a home that hasn't been maintained and they may have to move suddenly, well, a lot of their equity is going into putting in new roofs, uh, new flooring, uh, repairing uh, mechanical equipment, replacing drain lines. And you basically just paid for all these improvements just to make your house sellable for someone else to now come and enjoy. You know, that's not going to help you move into the next scenario or or move into the next home. You know, you've got that equity and you deserve to take it with you when you go. So our weekly to-do is designed to tackle that one 
weekly maintenance thing. And this one kind of comes off of home maintenance because uh, we're talking about it, it's Christmas tree 101. But, uh, you know, if, if you some people Christmas trees catch on fire and then they lose their whole home. <laughs> so there's a couple important things. But we actually went back and looked at some of the history. Did you know there's a National Christmas Tree Association? RealChristmasTrees.org is their website. And according to them, the first decorated tree uh, was in 1510. And then in America, it was brought in by Germans uh, and became part of a commercial uh, ongoing in the 1850s. Now, in the White House, the first recorded Christmas tree there was uh, by the Benjamin Harris, President Benjamin Harris, and his grandchildren decorated. It was on the second floor uh, oval room is what they call it. I, is the Oval Office on the second floor? Well, there's an oval room on the second floor. But oval prior room. to that, uh, it was uh, just a study for the family. Gotcha. Yeah. So the second floor of the Oval Room, I've, I've been to D.C. multiple times, but the line to always tour the White House is one I never want to stand in. So is that long? I, I always yeah. pass. I'm like, ah, maybe next time. Ah, maybe next time. <laughs> <laughs> but you see pictures, and by the window out back, it doesn't look like it's on the second floor. It's, mm -hmm. It looks like it seems to be on the first floor. Or you anyway. walk in and go, Ooh, this looks really small. You know, kind of the first time I went to the Capitol building in Louisiana, uh, it looks big, and then you get into some of the rooms, and it's like, oh, didn't look like a picture. But <laughs> White House has been there a while. And Arizona has its own different uh, tree traditions. If you are new to Arizona, there is a tree called Scrubby uh, that's on I-17 between uh, Black Canyon City and just past uh, Sunset Point uh, before you get to Cordes Junction. Now, a fire up there, ultimately, uh, it, it didn't burn the tree, but the smoke killed the leaves, which ultimately led to the tree dying, and it's not much of a, a tree anymore. But there is the, the scrubby Christmas tree that was a legend. Uh, the city of Marana already has a huge Christmas tree up outside their city building. There's uh, a tumbleweed tree in Chandler. <laughs> There's a, a number of different uh, unique oddities that you can find around the, the state for different Christmas trees. You know, and, and, and the tumbleweed tree, you definitely want to take care of because it could dry out pretty quick if it's not dry already. And there are some, yeah, there are some beautiful uh, neighborhoods in Tucson that do uh, Christmas lighting that uh, you can go walk through. And there's even a town, uh, a, a neighborhood in Prescott that you're actually, you live there and part of the requirement is you have to decorate for Christmas. And that's another great place to go. That is Arizona's Christmas City, and they'll have their Christmas tree lighting here the first week of December. Prescott? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Arizona's Christmas City. And the most popular trees in Arizona come for the fir family. Now, they're not grown here uh, unless you're going and cutting one down out of the... You got a permit to cut one out of the forest. Uh, but a lot come from Oregon, a lot come from North Carolina, where they have these big Christmas tree farms. Uh, Douglas, Noble, and Balsam are the most are the most popular types that you find in the stores uh, or, or in Christmas tree lots. And you probably know this. This probably isn't your first time buying a Christmas tree. And most lots will actually do this for you now. But you want them to put a fresh cut on there so that when you get the tree home and you put it in the stand and you've got water in there, it's absorbing that water. You know, the tree naturally 
will create a sap barrier healing that wound and that's going to keep the water from coming in so you always want that fresh cut and then get it home get it in the stand and get it in water as fast as you can after that and keep that water full now a lot of them will try and sell you additional additives that's supposed to make the tree last longer there's legends that you could put sprite uh in the bucket and it helps last longer the nurserymen i've talked to like eh, it's just something else to, to for them to sell i mean you're you know this tree isn't going to last more than two or three weeks or four maybe five how long are you going to have the tree in there you know, it's not a big extra expense, but most of them, the census is, it's just not worth it. What is more important is where you place the tree in your home. If you place it where your heater vents are blowing on it, well, it doesn't matter how much water you put on it uh, or feed it or give it or whatever kind of magic chemical you do to keep it alive and fresh and smelling great. If that <laughs> heat air is constantly dumping onto that tree, throughout the entire day it's you're never going to win that battle so make sure it's not in the path or where you can feel air moving from the heater as you're warming your home that's the biggest uh thing you can do in addition to uh, the clean cut in the water that'll help uh keep it lasting long and you know one of the things oh you know our article goes on and on and on and has all these uh additional safety and decorating things so if you're just so inclined you can find it on our website but i don't think uh you know i really need to sit up here and tell you about how to be safe with a christmas tree we're <laughs> we're all grown-ups here <laughs> uh, but if you have cats <laughs> make sure you put those ornaments a little higher up where they won't go after them so <clears throat> i don't have cats so that's not one i would have thought of all right or found on there Mary's been very patient. Mary, how can we help you today? Hi there. Hey there. Uh, you'll love this. You may or may not have had this ever happen before, but while we've been on hold, we figured out the problem. <laughs> what, what was the dilemma you were fighting, Mary? Well, we have a jetted tub. It's just a basic jetted tub with six jets. Okay. And the impossible situation, and it stopped working. Okay. Um, so the access to get to the motor and the tubing and everything that supplies the, the, uh, the parts for the yes. tub yeah. is in the most inaccessible yes. place, <laughs> of course, <laughs> which is through a closet on the bottom of the closet. You have to literally do a belly crawl yes. to get into the closet <laughs> and there's the motor and then the tubing is virtually inaccessible because it just disappears yes. through the wall. So we thought maybe there was a problem with the switch. Okay. Um, because the my husband had um, opened the panel and looked at it when it stopped working last week, and he actually got it to work again. Okay. But he didn't really know what he did right. in order to get it to work. All right. It stopped That's fair. again fairly quickly. So this is my this is my question. So what we found out this morning. So we went back. To, we went to the electric panel, make, make to make sure that the switch wasn't tripped. Good. It was not. Okay. Um, and then we went to the uh, we did the belly crawl again. Okay. Back into where the motor is, and there's a plug with the you know it goes there's a switch there and it goes 
it, there's an outlet and it goes right into that outlet. Okay. So I had pulled the plug, put it back in. I thought I had the, the angle is very awkward. So I thought I had um, reset the GFI, but apparently I actually did not. All right. Very good. My finger was too big. Okay. So my husband went back in there. And um, he had something much smaller to use, and he reset it, and it it works. All right. Well, very good. Well, it sounds like the GFI has been uh, tending to want to trip. Uh, you'll probably get it to work like you did a couple weeks ago, and it'll quit again. That GFI sometimes can just grow weak. Uh, but you might want to have, if, if it quits again in the near future, you might want to have an electrician out and have them test the integrity of that GFCI. And if the integrity of the GFI is good, then we're going to want to find out what signal is it receiving that's triggering it, because that, too, can be a concern as well. So Mary fixed her problem while she was on hold waiting for us. That's fantastic. And... The GFI was going to be the first thing I told her to check. We're talking a little bit about things we discovered at the International Builders Show in Orlando. Jennifer, the one thing that really caught my eye, Murphy door. You all know what a Murphy bed is. It's, it's the bed that you put in that second bedroom or in the home office that folds up and out of the way. It looks like a cabinet until guests arrive or the extra bedding is needed and then the bed folds down so it's a hidden bed well one particular manufacturer of that product has created what's called murphy door and you walk into a, a room and you look and see what looks like to be a recessed bookcase or bank of drawers it's actually a door so you don't know that there's a room behind there. It is, I, I'm going to find lots of applications for this. And I called Dave at uh, North Valley Locksmith, and I said, Dave, I want to order some of these, and I want to put a steel back on them, and I want to put a hidden lock you cannot see. You can virtually build yourself a safe room, a hidden closet, or a, or a safe right in your home. And so he says, yeah, we can do a, we can do a radio frequency controlled or a hardwire uh, deadbolt where you'll, you'll never see the hardware. You'll never know it's locked. You'll never know to go over there and even try and open it. Sounds like a pretty reasonable way to get that done. I, 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 I like this. I really do. Murphy Hidden Door Solutions. You can find them on the website, murphydoor.com. Let's go out to Santan. Let's get Steve taken care of. Hi, you guys. Hey, man. Hey, um, I'm wondering, I want to do some, uh, my wife and I, were, we're, I'm retired. <laughs> and don't have the cash for these things. I was, I was pleasantly surprised by... Contractors, you see it, you know, Home Depot and Costco advertising and uh, just wanted to replace the shower alone. Just the showers, they wanted like $25,000, you know. Yep. And I'm like, whoa, I know it's going to be high, but not that high. Yeah. So all we want to do is take the molded ones that originally came with the house and just get a newer one that's 
nice and easy to clean. Not not the we don't want to do anything fancy. Uh, one is a molded shower and bath. The other is just a molded shower loneliness in our master. And a formula that I've been getting, and I want to bounce this off you guys, is that whatever I pay for materials, I shouldn't pay more than two to two and a half times more in labor. So if I have a thousand dollar shower, I should pay two thousand twenty five hundred in labor where I buy the stuff. Uh, what do you guys think of that philosophy? Okay, Steve, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna just warn you a little bit. There are a lot of licensed, bonded, insured, experienced contractors that don't like installing product the home buyer buys direct and just show up and provide his labor. I'm not saying you can't find them, but they can be hard to find. The formula of labor versus material, uh, you're close to being about right. Uh, Here's the dilemma. Uh, That molded piece, whether it's the shower or the tub, as you know, is all one piece. When I'm building your house, I have my carpenters stand all the framed walls, and then those molded one-piece units get set in place before the sheetrock, before the doors, before anything else. And then we put plastic over them, we protect them, and they're there for the rest of the construction process. And when we finish the house, we, we bring in the made cleanup crew and then they make it look like new and we bring fiberglass repair companies in if we have to, if someone dropped a hammer or stepped in it or whatever and cracked it. Um, so it is it, it, it can be tough getting that unit out. You're gonna open the sheetrock up about six inches away from the edge, all the way around, remove the sheetrock then that's going to be nailed to the two by fours or two by sixes, pull those nails. Now the challenge is going to be getting that out in one piece. And if you can't get it out in one piece, you won't be able to get a new one in, in one piece, but they do make modular systems where the tub can come in and then the walls snap in place. It's not one piece molded, but it's all one piece interlocked. Same thing with a shower. You can do a shower pan with walls in interlocking panels. And I think that may be a better way for you to look. And I can tell you, uh, if you would want to get to one of the major, or you could go to flexstone.com. And they make the pans, the tubs, and the wall panels. And take a look at that. Uh, And good luck. Let's see if we can go to Robert. Also on call here at Rosie on the House, he dialed in. Let's see how we can help Robert. Good morning, Robert. Yeah, I have a, a home in Alabama. It's like 90 years old, and it got hit by the tornado, but it doesn't look that bad by the pictures. Just uh, some shingles and a little hole in the wall. But they, they mentioned, uh, oh, there's asbestos, and that's going to cost a fortune. Well, I've, they've been getting rid of asbestos for a long time don't they just wear a mask and they know how to dis- dispose of the the asbestos that they pull down that they need to get out of the way robert it's robert i will tell you that in my experience the different states have different regulations there is a blanket federal legislation having to do with asbestos different states address it differently if someone here's my gut feeling okay if someone's telling me 
my asbestos roof is going to cost significantly more to demolish, contain, haul off, and dispose of, I'd make sure I got a second quote and a third opinion. Um, Without a shadow of a doubt, I would talk to a couple other local area roofers or local area EPA officials and see what their position is. I can tell you, I'm going to tell you a little story here. Do I have time, Gary? That'd be a short story, huh? Uh, well, you got a minute. Okay. When we were installing asbestos back in the 60s, 50s, uh, we installed it in a lot of homes. And it became very litigious in the 80s and the 90s. Consequently, we as a remodeling company were paid a lot of money. Um to remove asbestos from homes and and buildings in a big church on Camelback Road. Uh, And the man that was inspecting the work asked me if I could go for a little drive one day. And I said, sure, let's go for a drive. And he was taking me to where they were hauling all of this asbestos debris that was contained in special bags. I won't disclose the location, But I can tell you when we got there, the bags were thrown out of the truck onto the ground. And there was a cat D9 bulldozer with a guy in shorts, a muscle shirt, and a baseball cap running over all of the asbestos. (laughs) I rest my case. (laughs) 